0: a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on Leading and Learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 309, Why the Fuss Over the Resurrection, Part 2. So I'm recording this the week before Easter in 2021. And, you know, Easter is one of those holidays that really just doesn't get the press that uh, Christmas does or, or some of the others. And and I get it. I mean, I actually posted about that on my blog uh, this week. Um, you know, why, why Easter? What's the point of Easter? And we talk about that. And I'll include a link to that blog so that you can kind of um, see maybe some of the reasons why Easter is not a popular holiday among most people. However, among Christians, Easter really should be the biggest day of the year because it's the, the day when we celebrate the resurrection, the fact that Jesus Christ physically, literally rose from the dead. Now, why is this important? And that's what we're talking about here. We're actually started last week examining some of the arguments against the resurrection and looking at the evidence that that we we've got for the resurrection. And you know, one of the the things that uh, Paul said, and this is in 1 Corinthians 15, and if you've never just sat down and read 1 Corinthians 15, I encourage you to do it because the entire chapter is the apostle Paul building a case for the resurrection. But listen to what he says here Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 13 and 14, he says, For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. So that's how important the Apostle Paul felt that the resurrection was. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity Um, Jesus just dying on the cross wasn't enough. The fact that, that Jesus died for us is huge. It's amazing. It's incredible. But that's not enough. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead to give us victory over death is really the essence of Christianity. So last week, we examined the first argument that has been kind of put out there over the years, and it's the fact that, uh, or, or the idea that the disciples stole his body. And, you know, this one um, was actually perpetrated in the first century. This is what the priest and the, the Roman government kind of threw out there, that, um, you know, the disciples came and stole the body. And we, we looked at why this is totally unrealistic. We also looked at the idea that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, that he just fainted. You know, he was having a bad day, getting beaten within an inch of his life uh, through the flogging and then being nailed to a cross and hung up there and having trouble breathing and then eventually even being stabbed in the side. Yeah, you know, those were just as Monty Python would say, uh, you know, a flesh wound. Um, but that's the, the, the theory of, it's called the swoon theory. Jesus didn't really die on the cross and somehow he, he woke up in the cool of the tomb and was able to force his way out of the tomb and get by the soldiers and show himself to his disciples. And of course, this is absolutely silly. It takes more faith to believe that really. But I want to move on and talk today about the idea, a couple of different ideas, um, and before I do that, I want to share another passage of Scripture from you with you from 1 Corinthians 15. And, and it's this. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 7. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to... Cephas, which means the rock, that's that's Peter, it was his nickname. Then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So Paul here is basically giving us a witness list, that, and I and I meant to include verse 8, all verse 8 as well, because he says, Then he appeared to. As to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul said he he appeared to him as well. So Paul's giving this really a, uh, a witness list. He's building a defense for the resurrection. These are witnesses who saw Jesus after he had been put to death by the Romans who were professionals. They were really good at putting people to death. But this is a list of witnesses. He appears to Peter. He appears to the Twelve. He appears to more than 500 brothers at one time, uh, most of whom are still alive, And he's appeared to James and then all the other apostles. You know, and, 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 and a couple of these just kind of stand out. I just want to touch on one. James was the brother of Jesus. He was not a believer in Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, look, you've grown up with Jesus. He's your brother, Physically, he's your brother or half brother, if you will, but still, he didn't believe. In fact, John tells us in his gospel the brothers of Jesus did not believe. And so, after the resurrection, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to James and they had a conversation. And we don't have, we're not privy to what the conversation is, but what we do know is that James was a changed man and became one of the key leaders in the early church. Uh, leading the early church in Jerusalem and was ultimately put to death for his faith. So, we've looked at those two previous arguments. Today, we're going to jump back in and we're going to look at a very interesting argument to start with, and it's this. It wasn't Jesus who was really crucified. It, wasn't, it really wasn't Jesus who was crucified. It was someone else. Now, this is a, a, a very interesting argument. And it's one that's taught in one of the largest religions in the world, that of Islam. If you read the Quran, you'll find that Jesus is referred to in several places, and he's referred to as a prophet of God. The Muslims do not see Jesus as the Son of God. They don't believe he was the Jewish Messiah. They don't believe that he was divine. But they did acknowledge that Jesus was a prophet. And as a prophet of God, there's no way that God would allow Jesus to suffer the indignation and the horrible death of crucifixion. So what what happens is there in Islamic theology they teach that because Jesus, because, excuse me, because Judas betrayed Jesus, God judged Judas and allowed him to be crucified instead. There's a there's a document called the Gospel of Barnabas that indicates that the the religious leaders and the Roman governor actually mistook Judas for Jesus and had him put to death. And then later, Jesus, the prophet, ascended into heaven. Now, no biblical scholars, first of all, believe that the Gospel of Barnabas is legitimate. Um, Every indication is that it was written much, much later, even in in medieval times. there's no credible scholars that believe that it's 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 real except Islamic scholars. Um, the the Quran and Islamic doctrine teaches that Jesus was a prophet, um, and so there's just no way that he could have been put to death. Now there there is no evidence to support the idea of Judas dying on the cross. There's no evidence whatsoever. In fact, the Gospels, the the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew in particular, tells us that Judas. The betrayer felt so guilty after betraying Jesus that he committed suicide by hanging himself. There's that, that poignant passage where after Jesus has been arrested and after Judas realizes that, that, that Jesus is going to be put to death, he feels this remorse. Now, we don't know what Judas' Judas's motives were. We don't know what the deal was. Jesus said that, that Satan had entered his heart and had caused him to 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 betray jesus but and it was to fulfill prophecy but judas had this moment of remorse after Jesus was arrested when he saw that he was going to be put to death, and he, he returned back to the temple in and, and the 30 pieces of silver, the, the bag of gold or the, the bag of silver that the, the, the religious leaders had given him. Judas said, I've I betrayed an innocent man. And they said, what does that have to do with us? And, and Judas took the money and flung it at them and then went away and killed himself. He committed suicide. And um, in the Acts of the Apostles, the, the book that talks about the growth of the of early Christianity, also written by the apostle Luke, uh, or, or, or by the writer Luke, Dr. Luke. Um, in the Acts of the Apostles, Peter, who, who was the leader of the early church, leader of the apostles, he refers to Judas's suicide. Um, so this wasn't a mystery. This wasn't a secret. They knew that Judas had killed himself, and... Because of that, Peter says, hey, listen, now we need to find a replacement for Judas. So so the the suicide of Judas um, was something that all of the the disciples have knowledge of. So the New Testament texts are very, very clear about the fact that Jesus was put to death. Um, The historian Josephus, the Jewish historian Josephus, um, uh, he he is a non-biblical historical source but he's considered a valid and reliable historical source, he mentions the crucifixion of Christ. Um, The Gospel of Barnabas is not a credible source, and Muslims are really the only one who believe in in this theory that Jesus was not actually crucified. But it mentions, I mean, it's well worth mentioning because Islam is one of the largest religions in the world. So, So it's interesting for us to go ahead and mention that argument as well. Well, don't go away. We'll be right back. We've got another very interesting argument against the resurrection that I think you'll enjoy hearing about. But I wanted to let you know this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Reflections on the Resurrection. You know, as we said, the resurrection of Jesus is uh, really the most important, important event in history. And for Christians, it should be the holiday that we celebrate above all others because the fact that Jesus rose from the dead lets us know that we can also rise from the dead as well one day. And that is the hope of the gospel. And so, reflections on the resurrection, we we, kind of delve into... Um, why the resurrection is so important. We deal with some of the material we're covered in this podcast. We actually go in a little more depth. We look at the evidence for the resurrection. But we also talk about the the devotional aspect of it. What does it mean for me and my faith? What does it mean for me um, as a follower of Christ, the fact that he's risen from the dead? So so Reflections on the Resurrection is educational, it's devotional, and it's also apologetic because we, we deal with these arguments that have been... Um, posted for years against the resurrection and and you know look our job as christians is not to argue with people but it's good to be able to have conversations with people and to know why we believe what we believe Knowing why we believe what we believe is so important. So many Christians, I've talked to Christians who don't even understand the fact that, that the resurrection is the key event in Christianity. The, they, that they have this idea that, well, even if it's not true, it's okay. I mean, Jesus taught us how to live, and he was a good example. No, 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 no. That's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible teaches. And if we can't depend on what the Bible says, then then we're wasting our time. And as Paul says, our faith is useless. So click on the link, Reflections on the resurrection. There'll be a link in the show notes, and you can check it out. Well, okay, we're back. Um, we've talked about the fact that the, the, the Muslims primarily um, or the group that believed that Jesus wasn't really crucified, it was actually Judas. Um, there was just a big uh, case of mistaken identity, and Judas got what was coming to him, but that's, there's no scriptural basis for that. And then the last argument that we're going to talk about is the hallucination theory. The Hallucination Theory. This one's great. And you talk about, this one needs a lot of faith to accept the Hallucination Theory. But basically it says this. uh, They teach that Jesus' disciples really, really, really wanted him to rise from the dead so badly that they all hallucinated and just imagined that they saw him. Now, even at face value, this is silly um, it's ridiculous. It's hard to believe. But let's look at s- some of the reasons why this is such a weak argument against the resurrection. First of all, as we've said, there are multiple witnesses to the resurrection. We mentioned um, he appeared to, to Peter. He appeared to the Twelve. He appeared to James. He appeared to, to uh, a group of 500. You know, it makes no sense. Um, and, and even James... The, the idea that James was hoping that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, he didn't believe at all. There was no evidence that James had any inkling that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, and yet he experienced uh, a visitation and had an encounter with Jesus. And so this idea of, of mass hallucinations is just not credible. Um, Jesus appeared to the disciples in groups individually, and the idea that all these people had the same hallucination is just silly. Um Are individual hallucinations possible? Of course. But in the Gospels, every person had a very similar encounter with a risen Jesus, and and hallucinations are just not going to be the same for everybody. A second argument against the hallucination theory is that usually hallucinations only come to those who are inclined to believe them. Well, you know, when you read the New Testament, when you read the Gospels, the disciples are portrayed over and over again as not anticipating Jesus rising from the dead. I mean, if they were, I mean, if the disciples really had believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, they'd have been sitting at that tomb on Easter morning, on Sunday morning, waiting for, for an angel to move the, the, the stone out of the way. Um, but But that's not the case. When the reports of the risen Jesus started coming in, most of the disciples discounted them. They're like, oh, no, that's just the women talking. What do they know? Um, but in fact, when, G- when Jesus did appear to his disciples, he rebukes them for not believing. Even seeing uh, a living Jesus in front of them, the disciples were still having trouble believing that he was really alive. So it's, this, this in itself seems to discount the hallucination theory. And then, of course, we've got the famous account of Thomas the Apostle. Of course, we know him as Doubting Thomas, and it says this in John. Now Thomas, uh, also known as the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, "...we have seen the Lord." But he said to them, "...unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe." And no matter how much the disciples loved Jesus, they just did not believe him when he said he was going to rise from the dead. Even Thomas himself here says, no, I just don't believe it, guys. Even though you say you've seen him, I'm not going to believe it unless I physically touch him. And of course, Thomas did have that encounter with Jesus. And um, he he did make that incredible declaration, my, my Lord and my God, after seeing Jesus in the flesh. Um, another argument against the hallucination theory, and perhaps the most obvious, um, is is this. It would have been the easiest one of all for the religious leaders or the Roman government to refute. I mean, think about it. When the disciples started preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead, all the religious leaders had to do, or the government leaders had to do, the Romans would just be go to open the, the, the tomb and pull the dead body of Jesus out and say, no, no, here he is, we killed him, he's still dead. But they didn't do that. Um, in the Acts of the Apostles, when the, uh, when, when the early disciples, Peter and John and the others, when they began to preach that Jesus was alive, when they began to preach the resurrection of the dead, the religious leaders had nothing whatsoever to refute the resurrection with. They were at a complete loss they said, no, no, we've put this guy to dead. We we put this guy to death, and now they're saying he's alive. What's what's up with that? The, the tomb was empty. There was no body. And so if this was, if there was some kind of hallucination, a mass hallucination, all the religious leaders had to do was go grab the body and pull him out. But there was no such thing happening. Um, if they'd had access to the body of Jesus, they would have made it public to refute any claims that he had risen from the dead. So, these are a few ideas. Um, These are the primary arguments against the resurrection of Jesus. And as we've seen, they're really, they're all weak, and they collapse when you place them under the magnifying glass of logic and reason. You know, there's always been um, desires to argue away the resurrection. There've always been um, efforts to, um, you know, discount the resurrection, to discount the miracles of God, the miracles of Jesus. But really, these arguments, when we start looking at people that are trying to discount the resurrection, that really tells us more about the belief system of the arguer than actually providing any substantial proof against the resurrection. Because when we, when we look at the evidence in the New Testament, there's incredible amounts of evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, and and we've, we've talked about these here, and, and there are other places in the book, Reflections on the Resurrection. But really, when we talk about the, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it's, it's also knowing that we can experience um, the, resurrected, the resurrected Jesus today. We still have access to Him through prayer, through faith, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm going to stop there. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments, or your questions. Go to davidspell.com, leave a question or comment, and while you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter. I'd love to stay in touch with you. Well, friends, I hope your Resurrection Sunday is incredible, and I look forward to seeing you next week on Leading and Learning.